1: Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy.
2: Murphy, let's, uh, let's set this up for everybody. I think uh, between us, we have, what, 157 years of campaign experience?
1: <laughs> yeah, we need to be carbon dated in the campaign laboratory. By but We have way.
2: been at this a long time. And we've been talking politics a long time. We, we have been. And by the way, Kudos on that Eisenhower campaign, but uh, (laughs) we've not only done campaigns; we've done presidential campaigns. And my theory has always been that presidential campaigns are an animal unto themselves. That uh, it's a little bit like NASA. You know, you can you can roll around in the simulator, but until you're in orbit and you understand the G forces of a presidential race, um, it's still a bit of a mystery. So, hopefully we can shed some light on this process in the next uh, however many months. I think part of what we're trying
1: to do is uh, let people know what it's like on the inside, because there's such an avalanche of info and opinions and instant polls on the outside, what it's actually like in a
2: campaign when you're navigating all this. All right, so let's just dive in and try and make some sense of what happened last week. And over the weekend— uh, the Iowa poll, the Des Moines Register, Iowa poll, Iowa poll now, it's uh, co-sponsored by uh, CNN. But it is it is sort of a watershed event in presidential races in Iowa uh, when this Register poll comes out. Uh, and what it said was that uh, Joe Biden continues to lead with 24%, Bernie Sanders at 16 Elizabeth Warren at 15 Pete Buttigieg at 14, and Kamala Harris at 7, no one else above 2%. Uh, Biden's down a third from December. Uh, His enthusiasm raises people who say they're enthusiastic about their choice far below the other uh, top-tier candidates. Uh, How do you interpret all that? Well, you know, this is the big gut-wrenching
1: poll because it's the one taken most seriously. And although it's early, you know, we have a lot of campaign left to go. It's the beginning. I call it the end of the first inning now. And I thought the most interesting number was Bernie really got his ribs cracked here. I mean, Biden... The good news for Biden is he's got the biggest chunk. He's got a quarter of the vote. The bad news for Biden is everybody knows him, and he's only got a quarter of the vote. Well, the competition, except for Bernie, is becoming more famous. But Bernie's down significantly, and Elizabeth Warren is coming up quick, as is Mayor Pete. So I would say bottom of the first, the two kind of flashy new developments are both Mayor Pete and Elizabeth Warren are kind of in the race. I think Bernie's struggling a little. Again, a lot of campaign left to go. And I, I found something in the Iowa Register story I wanted to bounce off you, a quote from a voter because this is often what people miss when they look at this early polling. Uh, they interviewed a voter named Joanne McCracken Young, a 66-year-old Des Moines resident. She says Warren is currently her first choice for president in the caucus but she likes because she likes Warren's ideas, particularly on health care. But she also is considering others on a mental list of several candidates. Joe Biden's on that list. Kamala Harris would be on my list. Beto O'Rourke, Cory Bookie. There are a lot of good people running. So, you know, you can't underestimate the shopping list part of this. That's how a Beto can go from, oh, I think he was like third in one of the earlier Iowa polls down to 2% under the margin of error now. Like It's not like he vanished from the earth. So this, this list thing will continue, and we're going to see candidates move around. Yeah,
2: the question is, Move around within what what spectrum, what parameters? Right. You know, uh, Yogi Berra. You, you you talk about the first inning. Yogi Berra used to uh, say famously about the shadows in Yankee Stadium that it gets early, uh, it gets early, uh, it gets late early here, uh, <laughs> and that's a little bit true. I think of the uh, Iowa caucuses in the main. When you look at these June polls, uh, the people who are among the leaders in June. Tend to be the group that from which the winner emerges. In other words, there's a lot of shifting around, but the shifting around generally happens within the first tier. So, how uh, worrisome is it for uh for a for a booker who's invested a lot and is by all accounts well organized? There uh, for a Beto O'Rourke who started off uh, as a kind of phenom in the race and has faded. Uh, how hard is it going to be to generate a a second act? Well,
1: it creates some headwinds, no doubt about it. And a lot of what's going on in the campaign now nationally is the race for money, particularly folks who have to go through the old model of bundlers and and very fickle people who watch all this and think, oh, I was thinking about Corey, but he's only at 2%. I'm out, which is actually a mistake. I... looked in the polling, and they do a cool thing there where they combine first, second, and third to kind of get a pool of consideration number. And and a bunch of them are around 40% who only are showing up low single digits. So I think in the reality, the the goal for these single digit kind of ham and eggers in the beginning is to get on the shopping list. And then that's the attempt to grow. But look, it's clear here in June, enough campaign has begun that we can start to pay attention. Uh, It's Joe Biden and everybody else. And the good news for Biden is it's Joe Biden and everybody else. The bad news is he might have a cap. And if Joe's the guy who's attractive because he's the winner, he's going to beat Donald Trump, and he winds up coming in second or very, very close first in the Iowa caucus, then all that winner sheen is gone. So yeah. I think it's another bad day at Biden headquarters after after last week, and I'm sure their phones are
2: ringing off the hook with nervous donors. Never we'll fun. Talk about last week week in a second, but I agree with you. For a, for a Warren, for a Buttigieg, uh, for a Kamala Harris, uh, to finish first, second, third in Iowa is a win. For oh, Biden, perfectly. anything less than first is a disaster.
1: Yeah, that's the problem with being Superman. It's fun to be the front runner, but then people start asking you to lift up locomotives. You know, <laughs> it's very unforgiving. And poor Biden's on gaff watch now because you know we're going to get into last week, but yeah. the media will now pounce on anything he does. If he uh, you know sneezes twice while you know mispronouncing a, a order at the campaign diner at the state fair or something, the smallest thing will now be covered like uh, D Day. So. Those are the perils of being frontrunner. And again, I just put one more exclamation point on Bernie. That's a whack. I think he had around 25% of the vote in the last Iowa poll. Uh, a bunch of it has fallen off. It's not hard to see that he's losing the battle on the left side of the party to Warren.
2: Yeah. Well, I think he's being squeezed on a number of sides. I, uh, You know, he had a clear shot uh, four years ago uh, with Hillary Clinton. He was the change candidate. She was the status quo Candidate uh, in this race, uh, he's being squeezed by a lot of new uh, by other uh, by new generation candidates who are getting some of that younger vote on the left. By Elizabeth Warren, he's getting squeezed with uh, working class white voters uh, by Biden, and you have to wonder how he breaks out of this uh, in a way that's uh, meaningful. He doesn't have the setup yep. he had uh, he had before. You know, the I'm thing reminded of, uh, of just one of my I'm reminded. I'm reminded of one of my
1: favorite old J.P. Morgan quotes, which is, every business has but one enemy, competition. And Bernie's learning about competition. He's now, as you said, not the only flavor on
2: the menu. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to lapse into one of your uh, anti-socialist... Uh, <laughs> I'm saving that uh, for the big crack, finish. Uh, ...cracks there. Uh, so let's talk about Biden. And by the way, when you, when you talk about... Uh, the Superman thing. He has set this race up that way. Yep. His whole race is predicated on the notion that the primary is sort of a is sort of a formality. That he is the guy, and he is uh, he's going to be the nominee. And he's tried to turn the page and turn it into a battle with Trump right away. Uh, as we speak, as we record this, uh, he is in. Iowa. Trump is in Iowa. He released a speech that is a just a blistering assault on Trump. Uh, Trump, uh, being Trump, will undoubtedly respond uh, tonight when he has a rally uh, in Iowa. And so the whole thing is predicated on I'm the nominee. And it's always been the case that Biden polls very well uh, against Trump, uh, but he has to get there. Yep. And the problem
1: with the invincible frontrunners is uh, you know, strategy almost the only one you have in that situation. But the weakness is there, there's no guarantee the voters have read the memo about it's got to be you. So that tends to be a good beltway insider and line up early money strategy if you're leading in the early polls because you got a bunch of name ID like he is and real affection in the party. But now there are a bunch of other products out there, and the best word in advertising is new. So the voters may decide. Well, you know, Joe may think he's the only one, but there's some awful interest in horses running around here, I may try right. to ride one. But, I mean, the new he's fresh bet- candidate, you
2: know, Judge uh, is doing pretty well, too, out of nowhere. But what he is betting on is that the uh, the frantic, desperate desire to get rid of Donald Trump uh, will drive people to him as the least risky choice, as the most likely uh, to, beat, to beat Trump. And in this uh, registered poll, he got Probably some encouragement that by a two-to-one margin, people said they wanted the candidate who could beat Trump over the candidate who was most ideologically uh, kin to them. But the risky factor right. can flip around if you have a, a few more weeks like the week that Biden had uh, last week. And, and just, just to review uh the thing uh, it started when a tape uh, a video was released of an encounter he had uh, on the campaign trail let's listen to that
0: will you commit to abolishing the Hyde amendment which hurts poor women and and yes. women of you color yes and by the way. ACL, you remember I got a near-perfect voting record my entire career. I heard <laughs> you did, but I'm glad you just said you would commit to abolishing no, no. the Hyde Amendment. Right now, it, it, it has to be. It can't stay. Thank you.
2: First of all, kudos to the voter who, who asked the question not once but twice just to make sure uh, that the VP uh, understood it. When it surfaced, his campaign said actually he, did, he misheard the question and uh, that he still supported the Hyde Amendment. This engendered a furor for 24 hours uh, from both his opponents and his allies, and he showed up at a dinner 24 hours later and, and, and essentially flipped back to the position he shared with that woman on the campaign trail. So uh, this... And by the way, a, po- uh, a postscript to the whole thing was that then there was a, a, a spate of stories about why he flipped and which campaign staffers helped persuade him to flip and right. what what uh, Alyssa Milano said to him backstage and that influenced him <laughs> and how he re- he decided on his way to the dinner to change his position and that he's held for. Forever. Yeah, the campaign Uh, had a lot of
1: heroes other than Joe Biden, according to these stories, which is a very bad culture signal about the campaign.
2: It it is. It is. So I, uh, you know, I I think we should note that uh, campaigns are replete with bad moments and bad weeks. And we all treat them breathlessly like they're the decisive moment in the campaign. This was not – but what it could be is a warning sign of things to come. Um, now, first, yeah. first of all, I mean, i got to tell you, I would not, if I had a candidate uh, who was going to be 78 years old the day he walked into the Oval Office, I would not be uh, offering up too often the explanation that he misheard the question. Uh, I think that's a, <laughs> that's a bad look. Yeah, and the it opens thing,
1: up a bad jar of uh, trouble.
2: It does, and then the second thing is, uh, you know, this is a fun, one of the strengths of Biden is he's been around for forty five years in American politics. He is familiar. He is comfortable. Uh, but the flip side of that is he's been around for 45 years in American politics, and he's taken a lot of positions uh, yep. over the years that were in the moment politically acceptable positions that no longer are the, the you know elements of that crime bill that he passed in 1994, uh, and, and uh, you know the, his position on uh, busing and some of his comments back in the 70s, and and certainly the Hyde Amendment. Uh, was broadly acceptable, if not ag- uh, agreeable, uh, to Democrats who were trying to ward off more serious uh, restrictions on abortion. Uh, but it, it no longer is for a lot of Democrats because of the move to uh, curtail abortion rights in the states, and because of this new Supreme Court. So there's a new urgency yeah, there's- about so so this this passing between eras is going to continue to present problems for Biden. Well, there's a whole bunch of things going on with this
1: little Hyde Amendment kerfuffle. First thing, I agree with you, it's early and there are all these hysterical moments. But this one was a tell on a couple of levels. One, as you say, he's got a record going back forever. And although I don't think being for the Hyde Amendment will hurt him at all in a general election, um, in Democratic primary politics, where there's an auction now in some of these issues to the left... It was a prickly issue. So one, the stumble with, you know, you could listen to that clip and you hear him. He hears ACLU and he goes into that mental three by five card. But then she says hi to twice. Now, I suspect he's been... Some staff member switched them over to green, eco-friendly hearing aid batteries that you know don't last as long or something. But I'm sure they'll it... appreciate your charitable <laughs> explanation. Yeah, I like Joe Biden. You know, I yeah, I, I, I do as well.
2: Listen, I I worked I, with him. I served with him. I I I think he's a great guy. He was a incredible vice president for. Obama but we're we're talking practical yeah. politics here. Right,
1: and we're talking frontrunner who cannot have a margin of error for this stuff. So yes. one one it was clumsy and it did open the grandpa factor. You know, he's up against some candidates who can use the most powerful word in advertising, new. And he's a lot of things and he's not new. Second, if he's the big winner, He's got to be the crack operation. They can't make staff mistakes. And again, as we both kind of alluded to, the fact that we kept reading about all these brilliant heroes in the campaign fixing their doddering old candidate who didn't get it is anthrax. And I think some heads ought to roll in the campaign for that because you can't have that culture. So this thing early was a tell to old political pit bosses like us on The Odds. That the Biden machine has a few cracks in it. The question for me going forward is: Are they going to repair them, or are they not? And if they don't, he will not, in my view, be the nominee.
2: You know, you 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 mention uh, the uh, uh, the contrast that some of the younger candidates are trying to uh, are trying to make. Uh, Buttigieg uh, gave a speech today in Indianapolis on foreign policy. And the title was America and the World in 2054, Reimagining National Security for a New Era. Now, he goes around saying, I, 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 I am concerned about what the world is going to look like in 2054 when I am the same age as our current president. Uh, whether it's advisable to lean in that far, I don't know. But the, his message is unmistakably a uh, a generational message when he spoke at the state convention in California a few weeks ago, he said we can no sooner go back to the 2000s or the 1990s as we can to the 1950s. And he's really trying to seize that new generation mantle. Same time, Biden's in Iowa and it's all Trump. It is, we got to get rid of this guy. Here are the top hundred ways in which he's terrible, obviously starting with tariffs and how they're affecting farmers and in Iowa. Uh, yep. So, you know, they they both, they have distinctive messages. Elizabeth Warren obviously has a distinctive populist message and a lot of policy to back it up.
1: Yeah, I think they're both playing the cards they got. You know, there are a lot of older primary voters, too. They get forgotten by the press when we cover Twitter like a poll. And I think Biden is banking on the best thing for him. I, my view of the Democratic primary is it has three big overlapping quadrants. Identity politics, basically not a white guy, please. Liberal, progressive, you know, anti-corporate economics, Bernie, Elizabeth, others. And then finally a fighter who can take it to Trump. So Biden's trying to own fighter. And so he's trying to pick a fight with Trump. That's the best strategy he's got. Now, the problem is he has to win that fight every day because if he picks the fight and he's not Chuck Norris, then the whole Biden thing, it's like kryptonite. Pete's got new fresh, so he's got to do that. Though my instinct is they they have to be very careful about not overplaying that because they don't want to wind up in a cul-de-sac where he's the cute young kid, make him vice president. Um, I think a little of that goes a long way. He gets a lot of that for free because he looks 25. And I I don't know if that's a horn he wants to constantly blow. I think that's an overplayable hand. I think his big problem will be non college educated Democrats when he shows up with the rolled up sleeves and the tie. And look, I know him. I think he's impressive. But he had the feeling of management to me. And how comfortable is he with African American? We did work at McKinsey. How comfortable is he with blue collar? He did. He did, which is, you know, in my
2: book is a plus. um, Um, But I don't um, vote in that primary. Yes, I think the other issue is African-American voters. And one of the things that may keep Biden afloat in this race is a firewall among African-Americans because of his association with Barack Obama. He's getting like half the African-American vote right now. If he can hang on to it, he'll be the nominee uh, of the Democratic Party. So You know, and later,
1: just one thing, later in the race, if Biden is still going but has a really bad day, the pressure on the former president – to throw a smile at him, doesn't have to be an endorsement, but something to sprinkle a little of that magic dust on him when he's in trouble to put him back on track will be pretty strong. That'll be an interesting
2: day for the president. Yeah, it will. Um, Elizabeth Warren, let's just talk about her for a second because we we have a guest and uh, we had an interesting conversation with her, Jennifer Granholm, the former governor of Michigan, an old friend. Uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren uh, was written out of the script earlier in this year, which, you know, goes to the point we made earlier about how uh, this is a dynamic process and absolutes are absolutely stupid. But uh, she – and she fought her way back and she fought her way back on the strength of, you know, some pretty bold policy initiatives kind of, you know, lapping the field on – uh, on policy and organization. She's got the best organization in Iowa uh, and sheer sheer grit and determination, which is sort of what probably got her from uh, hardscrabble roots in Oklahoma to uh, being a candidate for president of the United States today. Um, the question is, what are the barriers uh, to her? And uh, one of them is, uh, what are the barriers to women. And this has been a big discussion since 2016. What are the unique challenges for women candidates? And you and I had a good discussion with Governor Granholm about that. Jennifer Granholm Great to see you. Great to be here. I bring with me a former I Michigander here. It's true. You two the refugees favorite state. in California. God's favorite state. Yep. And
3: uh, you we were. were <laughs> yeah, we were on I'm, the other I'm, side. I got my fists up because. Uh, yeah. I worked for
1: John Angler, the governor before, but I wasn't voting in Michigan back then. So I can't oh, say I, I was a constituent. Oh. No, I was just uh. a parasitical consultant company. You were in a in hack. You were yeah. a, well, a actually, hack. He was that's a hack, day.
2: and that's why he's here, but he's more docile than in his Michigan state. I know. I know. I remember when you were like like the conservative firebrand in the Republican Party. Now you're not Isn't even welcome.
1: Well, you know, there are no conservatives left or at least they all meet at night because Trump's the opposite. <laughs> but that's a whole nother
3: time. Yes, but, this well, is, but we're we, glad that you're at least a never-Trumper. <laughs> we, we
2: are allied on that point. Yeah. <laughs> so we were talking earlier about Elizabeth Warren yeah. and how impressive in many ways her race has so been. So
3: impressive.
2: Uh, the quality of her, uh, of her policy. Murphy would disagree with it. Uh, and I might disagree with points of it, but it 's very well thought through and um, and her just her sheer as Mitch McConnell would say her sheer persistence yeah. has been impressive
3: i mean especially this what she came out with just recently, which is the economic patriotism idea, which you know for for states like Michigan for the industrial midwest you know we 've got all these competitor countries who are staying up at night thinking about how they're going to create jobs for their people in their countries, and they're willing to intervene in the market to be able to do that. And she's, she's just putting it out there. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting, especially in light, of course, of Trump.
2: So what I notice in the, in the early data, and it is early, uh, is that she is making headway, and she's making headway with younger people. She's making headway with college-educated voters. Uh, but she's not really breaking through yet with non-college voters, with uh, you know white working-class voters, actually with African-American uh, voters, and yet her policy is very much aimed at those sure. voters and their concerns.
3: Yeah, I mean, I I worry about, I worry, you know, I feel so bitten by the Hillary Clinton experience. And I do believe that we are, we live in a country that takes gender into account no matter what. Does it have to do with gender? Is it that people are, um, you know, it is true that women have to be uh, more likable than men. You know, men are just not rated on likability. Women are rated on likability. And I, I don't, don't say that... You don't think Donald is, Trump is likable? No, I think he's completely <laughs> despicable, as a matter of fact. Um well, But it's, you know, men can be tough and they can be whatever, and women have to be both substantive and... And likable, according to voters and surveys. And I'm not just saying that to, you know, to be sexist or anything. I just think it's a fact.
1: The electorate is probably changing. But for a long time, it was always interesting to me that in statewide races, and I, I worked for and against female candidates back in the day, if you were running for senator... As an advocate, women did pretty well. They even had an edge in some ways. If they're running for chief executive like governor, the hardest vote was other women.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can be judges. We can be in a collaborative body like the legislative branch, but when you're an executive, you have to be twice as good. You have to really amplify your qualifications about getting stuff done, and you have to be really nice well, and likable. you have likeable. to
1: find a way for other women to vote for you. I worked for Christine Todd Whitman, yeah. who was about the most moderate, pro-choice Republican governor in the history of politics, and we could never get a majority of female voters. Really? Yeah. Now, part of it was being Republican. There was a headwind there. On the other hand, you have the Patty Murrays of the world who go run on a mom against a millionaires and advocate. Right. And it in the
3: legislative branch, but you wonder if she would be able to make it right in an executive branch because of that. We've
2: we've got not just Elizabeth Warren, but we've got several Mm -hmm. very formidable uh, women. Right. And they and they're all in some form or fashion face some of these same. Yes, barriers to entry.
3: Yes, I think that's true. I mean, um, you know, have you, this is the question that they always, what have you run? Who have you led? How big has your office been? How much of budgetary experience and financial experience do you have? Can you be tough? Those things are super important as foundational questions. And then, do I like you? You know, so it's all of that together. And women can't uh, are not permitted the grace of making mistakes. So if we make a mistake, we have to recover much quicker. And it's harder to forget. People will, it, it, you're dinged. Oh, okay, well then she fits into that box of not being qualified if because you make a mistake.
2: Because there's a presupposition. That, yeah. that is a, a bar you have to cross. There's a supposition that you're not.
3: That you're not capable, right? So, Because people haven't seen us in positions of authority like that, certainly like president. And so there's an assumption that, that you can't do it. And so you have to be, you know, I mean, the whole thing about you have to be twice as good and three times as good to be considered half as good. And that's true. And so your qualifications have to be incredible. And your, your you know, your E quotient has to be really high. On, the, on this
2: issue, just let me ask this on this issue of toughness, um, because... Elizabeth Warren, for example, Kamala Harris, they, do, they are right. tough. Um, so you, I would you're, say that expected... Kamala
3: Harris and Amy Klobuchar have an advantage because they were prosecutors. Mm-hmm. You know, being a, a, a professor, which you had been, right, which I had been too, and being but being a professor, you still, you've got to really demonstrate that. Which she's obviously, she's been a fighter. She was the you know on the the congressional oversight panel for TARP, et yes. mm-hmm. She was really, you know, she's really tough on that stuff. But the question is, can you can you be a fighter and do you, have you run something?
2: You know, on this professorial thing. Um, um, I, um, I mean, this is my question. I, I've said I've said it before. I think I may have said it today that, uh, you know, uh, sometimes her presentation sounds to me like a TED talk. It's mm-hmm. it's very bright, it's very well reasoned, but it's almost lecturing. And I wonder if that is a barrier uh, for her with some voters.
3: Yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. I mean, she's you've seen her in you know in a variety of situations where. She has been able to connect with a voter in a town hall setting where she looks at them and hears what they're saying and calls them by name. And that's, you know, she does that she does that well. But it's the question of, you know, here we are with our beers. Mm-hmm. And she does, she can drink a good beer, I think. But um, do people want to have a beer with her if they feel like they're going to be getting a lecture? Mm-hmm. And that's, I'm not saying that she necessarily does that. I would love to have a beer with her because I think she's got an amazing well, personal story.
1: <clears throat> what? A lot of it, no, no, no. I, I actually think she's underrated as a candidate in I, the primary. Uh, in the general, <laughs> I you do know, too. if I were a Democrat... I would not be using this year or next year in the nomination to look for friction or anything to give Trump anything to work with. So let me go to the absurd theater of the hypothetical, knowing it's too early to really know because they have to go through the process before we see if they're any good. But of the three most prominent at this early stage candidates who are female, Harris, uh, Klobuchar, and Warren, as a pure matter of politics, who do you think would be strongest in Michigan, which is one of the states that Col- will decide? Well, Klobuchar. That's what I think, yeah,
3: too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, only yeah. because she, she comes from... Cultural fit. Yeah, it's a cultural fit. She comes yeah. from the upper Midwest. She understands this, the angst of the manufacturing families. Now, Elizabeth Warren certainly has policies that address that. Yeah, and but you she wonder about the New
1: England culture and the Midwestern culture. That that'll be up to Warren but, to see if she can from widen the appeal.
3: Oklahoma. I mean she Well, has. she's Although, from
1: Oklahoma via, via Harvard. Harvard. Yeah, yeah. yeah you but know, it's interesting. I saw I watched her whole story. I
2: watched her whole town hall and she kept talking about being a teacher. I'm a teacher. Yeah. I love being I love teaching. She never mentioned where she teaches and there's yeah. a reason for that. That's not exactly. But a but isn't it? I mean, thing. isn't
3: there something about being able to like rise from?
2: Oh yeah, it's a great story. I, I mean, the personal
3: yeah. rising. Why, why should we ding somebody who ends up? In I'm part of not her, saying
2: we should. I'm yeah. just
1: saying who she who went
3: to like public schools all right. of her life. I mean, I, right. I just think that yeah, story it's is the American. About damn time dream. for a
2: Native American president
1: to. <laughs> okay,
3: stop <laughs> that. The Republican stop Indian that. Um,
2: <laughs> That's but just so... just the last point on all of this. What we saw last year was an explosion of can- uh, women running for office. Yeah. And, you know, we have, a, I think, 106, 108-something women members of the House now, quarter of the Senate. Um, and the the appeal of, uh, of these candidates is clear. And the mobilization of women uh, as voters is clear. And Mike raises an interesting question. It's, does that translate into uh, will there be such mobilization for women for the presidency?
3: Well, I, I think it... I think we've got to have one before we know how the voters are going to react into the future. And we haven't broken through yet. And I think it is that executive position that is so difficult. I mean, we had the most qualified person ever run for president in Hillary Clinton. And granted, there were a whole bunch of other issues, right? Uh, You know, about, you know, Russia and blah, 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 blah. And you would, one might uh, talk about whether she was likable and all of that. But the bottom line is, I think that we, to find the magical candidate, it's got to be somebody who is adored and incredibly qualified. And that combination. In a woman is hard to find. In a man, you don't have to have it, but in a woman, you, no. putting it all together, it's going to be tough.
1: I would think, as somebody who's in the mental hell of you know despising Trump, who I think is unfit, but not being a Democrat either, um, I would think about. Don't let the election be about something other than Donald Trump, which means if it's about the first woman president, the first this, the I first I totally hand. agree with you on that. It, it, it's, it's, got, it's a challenger race. I
3: completely agree it's with you on It's fire incumbent. And this is what I say to, the, to women who are running. You know, it's obvious you're a woman. You don't need to emphasize that. Right. That was that. Hillary's
1: mistake. I thought she hit that card too hard. She got well, it for free.
3: Be, you know, people want a warrior. They don't want... Yeah somebody who um, who is who who believes that they are a victim in any way, right? They want somebody who's gonna champion them. I tell women who are running Watch Wonder Woman twice because (laughs) here she was raised in an island where she didn't even know that this that it was unusual for a woman to lead and she when she is plunked into the universe. That's not real. That's what uh, it's not a
2: dude (laughs) wrote it. But, but
3: (laughs) But the notion of her saying like oh isn't this a curiosity that a woman isn't allowed to do. That's so odd. I, I want women to have that idea that just. Let's take off the shroud of this, uh, you know, past history, and let's just be warriors on behalf of real people.
2: Well, you know what? Another barrier that I think is grossly unfair is uh, the barrier that says if you're born in Canada, you can't run oh. for president because you would be
3: one hell of a candidate. Well, bless your heart, thank you, but that's never going to happen. So, a moot point. And you worked for Arnold Schwarzenegger, and he used to he say all he
1: needed was a new
2: constitutional right. beer hall and he could get things going. <laughs> Jennifer,
1: going happen. Great, great, to,
3: great
2: to have you yeah, here on our inaugural. Yes, what an absolutely. honor. Thank All you right. for making you are now, a hack
3: You are now a an hack honorary hack on, on tap. tap. I don't know if that's a good thing, but I'm going to have my beer. High <laughs> praise from us. <laughs> All right. Thank you.
1: So, Murphy, what about Elizabeth Warren? I, I think with Warren, there's a real case study of how the Beltway echo chamber media can really get it wrong. I mean, they hear two years ago at some cocktail parties that people in the Democratic Party, including the Obama administration, didn't like Elizabeth Warren. She was difficult from their point of view. So all of a sudden, she's unlikable, became like the slogan around D.C., so she can't do anything. And from the beginning, I've seen her as having the store that is offering a lot of things Democratic party voters are looking for. Like I said before, identity, liberal economics, fighter. I mean, she's kind of the triple threat there. So on paper, I've always thought, and I've been saying it all along, that she might catch on. Now, catching on early like this is great. It's also a risk because this thing goes on for a while. It has many innings uh, to beat our analogy to death. And moving up this fast is almost too fast. It's, it's, It's okay, but she'll get the second and third look now that might be more hostile because from my Republican point of view, Uh, never Trumper that I am, but nobody at the RNC is shaking, and maybe they're too cocky and they ought to be, but nobody's shaking about Elizabeth Warren as a Democratic nominee. They think she and Bernie are the two most beatable based on ideology. And so how she pivots from kind of the easy stuff, which is running to the left of people on populist economics, to the middle class stuff to win a general election and keep it a referendum on firing Trump, not about her as a big threat, That's tricky. I can tell you the never-Trump Republicans, all 48 of us, uh, in our secret underground meeting uh, chamber... Uh, are a little nervous about the Elizabeth Warren thing in general because it's the risk of making it an ideological election that could help Donald Trump drag Republicans and conservative independents that don't like him back to the reelect. So we're seeing a lot a lot of places yeah, to go. I'll tell you what she does, have, though.
2: She, she understands the process. Uh, the, yep. She understands that it is a sequential process, not a national process. It begins in Iowa. It moves to her backyard in New Hampshire. And if she can pull off a surprise in in Iowa uh you know she can go far in this race and we'll see how far she too has to break through with african american voters in places like south carolina to make this uh, you're right though to she make, could run to, the to table to do. yeah so yeah, there's uh, no doubt. but but ta- speaking about people uh in the uh in the ivory towers of uh, washington <laughs> uh and elsewhere uh getting wrong what's going on in the country i wanted to ask you about what you feel is going on relative to the president's feint on tariffs with Mexico, it seems to me that the elites were harumphing that, and and I think with good reason. I, it was bad, it was a bad policy, and uh, in many different ways. But his base, uh, th- basically, sees a guy who uh, got tough with Mexico, and the way it's being portrayed, whether all this stuff was on the uh, in the works already or not they packaged a bunch of bunch of uh, things together to say you see what he won you see what he did he got tough and now he's turning back to china and i it seems to me that may be a good strategy at least with his base yeah to his theory and his people's theory,
1: but it's really all him that every election is essentially a Republican primary. He's finding a way to recycle his old platinum record. You know, everything is ultimately about foreigners, be it trade, be it immigration. So he's found a way to keep. Keep playing his record. And that's helped him in the base, although this Mexico thing scared the hell out of the business wing of the Republican Party. And I think with the economic uh, numbers coming out that showed a slowdown, even even Trump, I think, started to calculate that go for the kabuki theater win here – you know, be the arsonist and then show up in a fireman uh, outfit and claim to be a hero uh, to, one, get his issue saliency up, and two, don't risk the economic pain that a trade war with Mexico would would really cause. So I I was interested in this. I was reading some of the questions about will the Mexican government actually spend the money it'll take to move military troops around and do all the things it'll take to do what they promised. And I wouldn't be surprised if Trump is hoping they don't so he can run this same play again in the spring. Because uh, yeah, from the, his point of view, it, it's just nothing
2: but more logs on the fire. Well, everything, it seems to me, uh, for him is uh, an episode of this ongoing reality show. And he judges how it, it plays in the moment. I, I think he's probably pretty satisfied, not with the elite commentary that called into question whether he had gotten anything for this, but, you know, in in the precincts uh, that he cares about, uh, the ability to say, "I, I, I got tough," and uh, they produce something. Now the question is, uh, there are real-life impacts to some of these things. Uh, he's in Iowa today, and he's going uh, to an ethanol plant uh, because he knows that he has problems with farmers who have lost their markets as a result of uh, these tariffs with China. They've stuck, they're sticking with him for now. Uh, And uh, the question is how long can they stick with him and how soon will it be before he does the same thing that he did with Mexico and takes what he can get, packages it as a big victory uh, and uh, uh, claims that uh, he followed through on his on his commitments.
1: I think that's what he wants to do. Uh, the the danger in it is eventually, if he beats victory to death next year when it really counts, he, he won't have the card trick again. You know, the war is better for him, or at least the perceived war, than the victory is. The problem is, the war cannot actually start being a problem beyond the boardroom. You know, if it gets from businesses that don't like the idea down to people feeling pain when steel prices go up in Pennsylvania. You know, Michigan would have been a disaster if this Mexico thing had happened because most of the black beans you actually eat in Mexico come from, of all places, Michigan, from Trump counties in Michigan. The soybean people are getting squeezed. So th- this is something that the the rhetoric war in his base is doing fine, but the reality may catch up with them. And these economic numbers are a tell that trade wars, as any economist, and I don't think the president talks to many, and when he does, he fires them if they don't tell him what he wants to hear. But uh, th- this is a rhetorical strategy that in the real world may come back to hurt him. We just don't know yet.
2: Well, one thing's for sure. If the economy softens, his, uh, his, uh, his chances soften as well. And it was interesting that he, he did back off of uh, aluminum tariffs uh, uh, with Canada, in uh, mexico uh because that was that had economic ramifications in the very base and and some agricultural as well in the very base in the upper midwest that uh, he absolutely has to have uh to win yep. uh, so we we should uh we should wrap it up and uh tell people that we will be back every tuesday uh, re, re, uh, recapping what we what we in our humble view think are the and you can see the humility throughout this yeah we're, we're
1: dripping with humility here but that's the fun part we're going to uh we're going to have some fun with this commenting as things go by uh and we're also going to have guests like we have the great governor granholm of my old home state uh so we're keep it up now we would love your comments insults questions and uh we
2: have an email address don't we david for the kids today with the, we, the interweb we, we, we do indeed, and not just the kids. I mean, we invite questions from people over 40 as well. HacksOnTap at gmail.com. That's hacksontap, one word, at gmail.com. Uh, and now, speaking of technology,
1: let me just make a quick plug for our friend, the algorithm at iTunes. So, the way this works is in, when you rate it on that star system on iTunes, you tell the Apple computer how many people to put it in front of. So if you like the podcast, please give it a rating. That'll help put the podcast in front of other people. We don't want to leave this up to Putin alone. We want as many people to sample this as possible and see if they like it, because we're going to have fun doing it. So our inaugural issue, I think we we got through it pretty well. I think that's Biden online, too, for you. Trump campaign, uh, they've given up calling me, but I'm sure they're unhappy. So uh, and, maybe and we can check in a little and, truth.
2: And, if, and if folks out there th- think that algorithms are actually our friend, I'd like them to write why to <laughs> hacksontap at gmail.com. I'll see you next week, brother. Thank you, pal.
0: Join us today during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC.
2: Oh, 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 O'Reilly.
0: You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast.